Welcome into the Cyclone Scoop, everybody. Alex Halstead here with another edition. We're two weeks out from Iowa State season opener, and so I'm bringing on a special guest today, Iowa State broadcaster Eric Heft. You said, what, this is going to be what year for you with Iowa State football? Uh, 36. Okay, 36 years of Iowa State football. This one has a lot of hype behind it, and so I wanted to bring you on to look back a little bit. How does this compare to some years past, but also take a little bit uh, of a closer look at this team because you're obviously around the team during the season quite a bit, and um, I know you said you've been traveling a little bit, but uh, I know you have a lot of insight on this team uh, as well. So thanks for joining me here. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. I always enjoy your stuff. Yeah, thank you. Um, so year 36, uh, you started kind of after the stretch I wanted to start this off with. And that's uh, when you look back to 1976 to 1978, obviously that was the last time Iowa State's won eight games in three straight seasons. That's what they're going for here in, in 2019. How much, how would you compare the hype surrounding this season to maybe that stretch then? It's, I'm sure it's, it's much bigger, especially with social media and that sort of thing. Well, you know, no websites back then. I mean, the coverage was pretty much Des Moines Register, a little bit on TV, uh, no sports radio. So uh, the hype machine was certainly a lot less than it is right now. But, but those teams were really good. But the thing, the thing you had to remember back then was you, know, you had two Goliaths you know, you were staring up at all the time in Oklahoma and Nebraska. Not necessarily in that order. Those were great programs, national championship kind of programs. So uh, you were always hoping you could compete with those teams. And of course, uh, 76 and 77, Iowa State did beat Nebraska once in Ames. And then, of course, uh, the rematch where they were going to kill Iowa State for what had happened the year before. And Iowa State went over and won in 77. Uh, but the hype going into the season, certainly uh, people were excited for sure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, We'd come off early 70s, you know, with some really uh, a guy that really turned the program around, Johnny Majors, and some a couple of bowl teams, the first two bowl teams in Iowa State history in 71 and 72. Uh, so people had had a taste of it, then had three straight four and seven seasons, so they were a little disappointed in Earl Bruce at that point. Uh, but boy, the 76 team came out and was really uh, actually more offensive oriented, uh, second in the nation in total offense, uh, outstanding, outstanding team. Uh, uh, defensively, they were pretty good, uh, but then 77 and 78, the defense really grew and had a tremendous D-line play uh, that really sparked it, kind of like this team right now for Iowa State. During that span, obviously, like you said, Earl Bruce was, was the leader of that stretch, but they, it's a little bit different than, say, Matt Campbell in terms of him coming in and trying to flip something. His first three seasons, like you said, he went four and seven, and so it took a little bit more time than what we've seen here. Campbell goes three wins in 16 and then kind of flips it quick. How would you compare those two jobs of, that they had to both undertake? Well, Johnny Majors, I mean, had been the first coach to, to, as I said earlier, to get Iowa State into a bowl in 71 and 72. Uh, and then Johnny left for Tennessee. So uh, in the 73, 74, 75, Fans were expecting more, and the four and sevens were somewhat disappointing, and and there was a little bit of pressure on Earl from some of the fan base, uh, uh, but uh, it was a pretty good job because Johnny had recruited really well. Earl had had. Uh, uh, much more talent, I would say, coming in than Matt had. Uh, but his style was totally different than Johnny's, and it took a while for that to mesh. But boy, once they got it rolling in 76, uh, it was three really terrific years. Are there any parallels between Matt Campbell or and Earl Bruce, or does it end with the Ohio connection? Oh, well, not only Ohio. I mean, Earl was a head coach at Maslin High School. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it goes a little further than that. Uh, 
you know, when I look at Matt, I, I kind of think he's just kind of, he's taken the best uh, of so many coaches at Iowa State, you know, whether it be uh, a little bit of Paul Rhodes, uh, some of the good things that Paul brought to the table, uh, a lot of the things that Earl Bruce brought to the table, uh, solid fundamental football, uh, you know, trying to build a strong defense uh, as your basis, a strong offensive line. Those are some of the tenets that, that Earl had, and certainly Matt has those too. With uh, this turnaround, obviously, like you said, it's taken, it's happened fast, you know, with, with Campbell, but it's also, I think, taken a lot of stuff behind the scenes. There's the, the culture buy-in. I think, you know, players have talked about how you had a buy-in or you were probably going to be gone. Right. And there's obviously been a lot of recruiting uptick as well. Um, is there anything in, in particular that stood out to you about this turnaround so far under Campbell from, say, 16 to, you know, where they are going into 2019? Well, I, I think, number one, you mentioned culture. I mean, every program's got culture. Some of it's just not very good, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes you have addition by subtraction, and I think that's what Matt was looking for. And I know if you ask the players who started that first, those first winter drills as Matt's head coach, those were brutal because he wanted to find out who's in and who's out, and, and then you make your decisions based on that. Uh, but it has been faster than I expected, certainly to get to eight wins, you know, uh, a couple of times here in his first three years. Uh, Always hopeful for that, but I think even the more optimistic ones probably weren't expecting that in year two. And then year three, uh, you know, the other thing too is you look at how Iowa State has started each of these seasons. They've really kind of struggled out of the gate. Now, there have been reasons for that, uh, but I think the mark of a great coaching staff and a great coach is his ability to build over the course of a season, get better. And I think Matt and his staff have certainly laid that foundation with the players by and made it a reality. Yeah, and I think adjusting it too. I mean, we we look back a couple years and they completely switched their defense to right. kind of fit their players. Have you seen a coach in in your time that's maybe adapted a scheme around his players so much? I mean, Campbell talks a lot about players formations plays, but he even admits I think that it sounds a little cliche, but it seems like he actually does that more than maybe some coaches have in the past, whether it's switching the defense or utilizing certain guys offensively different ways and completely maybe changing the offense based around a player. I mean, I think every coach tries to do that. <clears throat> Some are just more effective at it than others. And, you know, Matt, Matt's got a great staff. And I think maybe the single biggest thing or one of the biggest things to me was when Matt came, he brought virtually his entire staff or people who have been here and or with him at Tony Alford, you know, and Alex Golish had been with him before. Uh, they were all on the same page. And I think sometimes it goes, uh, if you look back at previous coaching regimes here at Iowa State, I think the assistant coaching uh, carousel, if you will, and everybody not being on the same page from a coaching standpoint, uh, I think was, has, has been harmful for Iowa State. But I think right now, these guys are all locked in. They all know what's expected, and there are no surprises. There's no debate in the coach's room about, okay, who are we going to be? They know who, who Iowa State's going to be. Sure, they're going to tweak it, but uh, you know, I just think it's, that's been a really big thing, and it's easier to make adjustments you know, when everybody's on the same page. Yeah, I think the, that was one of the most interesting things when the, the hire happened. I think over on the message boards, I saw like, the, all the Toledo staff was coming, and there were some fans that were like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And it, it, I think the staff continuity gets a little overlooked because it doesn't really matter where you win. If, if it works, then I think you want that. Well. Uh, I was one of those. I mean, I, I said it's either uh, either a home run or, or not. I mean, because it, the number one thing is, uh, can they evaluate and recruit talent 
that'll win at this level. And when any time a coach is moving up a step, you don't know if that's the case. Uh, if they can, it's a huge win. It's a home run. And that's what it's been. It's been a, a grand slam for Iowa State. Yeah, there's obviously staff turnover anywhere because guys get different opportunities. But he's brought in, you know, Nate Shieldhouse from Illinois, who's done a good job recruiting and obviously now is coaching receivers after running backs last year. And he's really seemed like developed coaches, whether you look at Jeff Myers, who he's developed into now an offensive line coach, or even – you look at a guy like Christian Smith, who's the defensive line coach at South Dakota State, and he brought him along, and now he's maybe doing the same with Joel Landing and Kyle Kemp. But, uh, yeah, I think the staff continuity maybe gets overlooked a little bit, but it seems like it is maybe a key part of what they've been able to do. Uh, I don't think there's any question about that. And, you know, and some of these guys are going to have opportunities to move on. We saw Tom Manning, you know, take the job with the Colts, and now he's back, which I think is a great thing. Uh, but at the same time, some of these guys, the younger guys, are going to have opportunities to move on if they want to. And, hey, more power to them. I, I think with what Matt has established here, his pool of candidates for people who want to work for him, uh, he'll be able to have uh, a great pool of candidates, and he'll find the one that fits what he's trying to do, and it fits personality-wise and fits the Iowa State culture. Before we look ahead to this 2019 season, let's look back quick to 2018, mainly on Brock Purdy. When when did you start to get a glimpse of you know this Brock Purdy guy might be something? Because Matt Campbell would you know kind of when he'd talk to us in the summer or leading up to the season, he'd kind of drop his name like, hey, he's kind of looking good. But, you know, he, he even admitted this summer that they really didn't fully start game planning around him until around Oklahoma State. So it was always a work in progress with, you know, actually having an offensive system around him. But when did you start getting an inkling that he might do what he did? Early in the year, uh, you know, early, fall camp, you saw him a few times and thought, okay, uh, he's the best potential quarterback on the roster right now. Now, potential is the key word because that means you haven't done it yet. But you think, okay. Can he, what's he, how's he going to play when the lights are on? You're playing against Big 12 defensive players. Uh, so those are things you didn't know. But as far as the potential standpoint, I mean, Matt saw that right away. Uh, he liked his demeanor. Uh, and I know he even considered playing him earlier. Uh, but, you know, just couldn't quite pull the trigger. He wasn't completely 100% comfortable uh, until he decided, okay, now's the time. We, gotta, we have to make a change. And like the year before, uh, you know, where he went with Kyle Kempt, uh, at that point over Zeb Nolan, who had been listed at number two. You have to go with, with what you really believe, and Matt's instincts are, are terrific. And I'll tell you, I was surprised at how well Brock played, to be honest. I mean, not just game one, but then game two and game three, when they've actually seen him. Oklahoma State had no idea what was about to hit them. Uh, and he baffled them. I mean, you're game planning for quarterbacks at Iowa State who, who didn't run the football at all, Kyle or Zeb. And all of a sudden, there's a guy comes in the game, and he's running all over the place. And it got the Oklahoma State defense back on their heels, and it was a big part of that win. Uh, but how Brock was able to respond after there's game film of him, uh, I thought spoke volumes. And I'm excited to see how, how it comes forward this year. You know, we've gone into, you know, Matt's first three years, you know, I mentioned the slow starts. I mean, there are reasons, you know, a totally rebuilt offensive line, no starters back for the most part early on, followed by you know, a key injury. And then quarterback kind of, a, you know, with Jacob Park. I mean, just look at all the things that have happened at Iowa State, you know, Joel and, Jay, Joel and Jacob Park, and then Kyle last year, and Kyle gets hurt. Uh, so there are reasons, I think, for the slow start. I think this year this team is more set up 
to have a good start. And I think it's very important if you want to reach some of the goals that this team has. Yeah, that, that's actually what's crazy is last year's they start, what, one and three. I remember being kind of in the underneath the stadium where they have the press conference at TCU, and uh, Campbell was like, I think, I actually still think we're fine and stuff. And I think right. some of the fan base was like, man, why is he saying that? Because they, they were kind of freaking out, like this was supposed sure. to be the year and start one and three. But he still felt pretty comfortable. And he also knew he had maybe Brock Purdy in his pocket, plus the defense had played well right. and those sorts of things. I think that was the biggest thing, too. He, he knew that the defense was there. And David and Hakeem were on offense. We just got to find ways to better utilize their abilities. And if you have a quarterback who can make plays, uh, so much the better. Uh, he took a shot and was rewarded. I do want to touch on that defense here in a minute, but uh, finishing up on Purdy, he's he's getting a lot of hype and probably rightfully so. He's young still. Does he? He probably doesn't really compare to anyone. You know, you've seen that quarterback. I mean, there's other guys that have played young, whether it's Brett Meyer or, or whoever else. Austin or not. Austin or not. Right. But he probably doesn't really – he seems like he's maybe on another level if he continues on the path at least well, than people that maybe you've seen. Well, I would think so. I think one of the one of the key things going into this year too will be his, his ability at the line of scrimmage. You know, last year they didn't give him much to the line of scrimmage. They wanted to keep it as simple as possible, let his instincts make plays, but stick with what's called. But we'll see as he matures and they grow in their trust of his ability to make the right decisions at the line of scrimmage. I think that could really make this offense even more dynamic. Yeah, I talked to Matt Leiner at Big 12 Media Day, and he said that was a big thing from year one to year two. Is year one he was kind of doing the play call. Year two he was changing things and he was knowing what was happening before um, before the snap and Purdy's talked about that. It seems like Tom Manning's return has ingrained that into his mind. He keeps using the term accelerated vision, uh, knowing what guys are going to do before he snaps the ball. And, and he also, like you said before and kind of alluded to, his teams have game film and they had it last year, but now they have a full offseason to figure him out. And that was maybe what was most impressive last year was the ability to still continue to be that dual threat quarterback even after everyone saw what he did against Oklahoma State so yeah I mean what a terrific year and I'm hopeful that pro football focus is right you know yeah (laughs) he's the number eight quarterback in the country I don't know if that's true but I'll be shocked if he doesn't have a great year once again uh gotta stay healthy uh because I know we've said this before the last three years and somebody's come in and done it when your starter gets hurt you know but uh, this year uh, is another one of those years where you hope you got a guy who who is an elite level quarterback or certainly can be an elite level quarterback. Uh, he's got to stay on the field. Yeah, that was one of the things I think I wrote recently was that's maybe the biggest key to the season is him staying healthy. You know, being the first yeah. quarterback since Austin or not in 2008 to start every game there, and some of those have been performance based, but some of them have been injury. Right. But if he, I'm not saying they maybe can't feel confident in, in what's behind him, but well, he's obviously, the, like you said, rated as the number eight quarterback in the country, and you can't there, replace that. There's a reason he's a starter right yeah. now. And you know, he's a starter not based on potential right now. He's, he's a starter based on what he's already produced, and you're just hoping he builds on that, which I, I have very little doubt that he will. We, let's go back to the defense that, that you had just mentioned. And um, the defensive line returns every start from last year. Um, I think probably four of their top six guys or so are seniors. Is this the best defensive line since when? I mean, that not to put well, you on the spot. I know 2005 sure. was pretty good. 2005 was really good. 
uh, you know, I, I'll go back to that 77 group in particular. They were terrific. Uh, you know, Tom Randall, Mike Stensrud, a couple of pros. Ron McFarland was all-conference. I mean, they had three guys, you know, anchoring that defense that were all-conference. You know, that just doesn't happen very often. So I think the defensive line, the ends were good too, uh, but, but it was those three, three inside guys that were terrific. And so I would compare it to that. The big difference for me, though, is the guys behind them. Uh, not a lot of depth. You even go back to, to the leaders' curve group, you know, which was which outstanding. Two really good players, uh, to be sure. You know, but I remember being at Tech uh, Nick's freshman year, he played 110 snaps. Yeah. <laughs> Rushing the passer at Tech. You know, well, you can't do that, you know, and, and be effective. And I think right now, the depth that Iowa State has in that defensive line, you know, across the board, you know, ends, you know, you know, in, inside guys, it gives you the ability to play your best guys. You know, certainly your best guys up front, but then you've got great guys. You can play uh, four-man front and still uh, be very effective with that, with guys who can dominate and control the line of scrimmage. So uh, I think it's the best defensive line group that we've had at Iowa State since I've been around. Yeah, and I think, like you said, I think the main reason is that depth. There's always obviously been high-end talent on some of those teams, but I think Jamal Johnson could probably start for – a good number of teams. Matt Leo would probably play a lot more if he didn't have any sure. Wazrike ahead of him. Right. And that's kind of been the talking point as we've gotten coaches here in fall camp. Even when you go to the next level at linebacker um, or even corner, corner is the big question, but linebacker, you know, they, Matt Campbell said he thinks he could put in, they can switch in Orion Vance or switch in Jake Hummel, and those guys are starter level level players. Well, those guys have already done it. I mean, those guys were effective play, players a year ago uh, in a backup role, but they, they really no drop-off or very little drop-off when those guys came in. The other thing, a linebacker, too, is, you know, Mike Rose, I mean, hopefully he hasn't lost any speed, uh, but his instincts should be better after having a year. And 20 more pounds to take on offensive linemen or bring down the big running backs uh, that we'll see a few times this year. I mean, I think that could really be huge there, too. Yeah, and that, uh, t we talked about that last week um, with Tyson Fight. He said it's not even – it's the weight, obviously, but it's the strength that comes with that weight. That And I think Mike Rose said he's be been able to shed blockers a little better or even fill the A or B gap right. easier because he's, you know, 240 instead of under 230 or whatever he was. When you're playing a three-man front, your linebackers, uh, you know, are almost your first line of defense against the run. <clears throat> you know, you – you hope your your guys up front can kind of control things and create opportunities for your linebackers to make plays, and they've got to be able to step up and make the play. You know, there's a big difference. We've seen it on the other side of the ball. David Montgomery sometimes didn't have a hole, but he's able to break a tackle and turn a two-yard gain into a five-yard gain. Well, well, second and eight. Uh, or, or second and five, those are two big big differences right there. And I think if the linebackers can come up and make those plays, get the stop, you know, no yards after contact, that's huge. And keeps the offense behind the chains. And it's a big thing for, for John Haycock because he's, as he's calling the defensive signals, you know, what, what they're down in distance is. What do you think made this defense so effective? I mean, in seeing, all, seeing probably all, one, how the landscape has changed through the Big 8 and the Big 12 mm -hmm. and just how offensive football has evolved. But when you've seen big – there's certain Big 12 teams that have obviously had success over the years defensively and some that haven't. What, <laughs> what do you think has made Iowa State so effective? Well, one, number one, 
they identified some key players that they were able to recruit. Ray Lima, be probably first and foremost, you know, so it gives you an anchor in the middle. Uh, so they, but they've been able to get good players, and they had some good players left over, whether it be, you know, Brian Peavy and some of those guys, you know, that played, uh, played for, for John Haycock, you know, the first uh, three years. But John Haycock is a wizard. And I think, you know, he has come up with, you know, he and the staff have put together plans uh, that are terrific individually f to, to match up with teams. And sp uh, specifically, you know, and I think the league's going to change a little bit uh, with the new coaches and their styles are going to be different than what we've seen. And I think there's going to be more run-based uh, teams in the league. But what he, he was able to do with that 3-3-5 uh, defense, uh, it was just designed to stop the teams in the Big 12, the high-powered offenses, and they've been very effective at it. And I think they have a chance to take another leap forward this year because I think they have the versatility. I mean, John always talks about it. You're playing Texas Tech. You know, the first thing you have to think about is stopping the run. And you wouldn't necessarily think that, but if you can't stop the run, you can't win uh, because eventually they'll just keep running the football uh, and get them in great situations to throw whenever they want. Uh, but he's been able to control the run, which I think was always the big question mark about that, that three-man front. But they've been able to do it. And once again, they've had good players, uh, coachable players to be sure. Uh, but John's come up with schemes that other teams have had a hard time adjusting to. And now his challenge is going to be, as the league evolves, because it's a constant change. We may see half the teams run run more than they throw this year, uh, maybe even more than that. Uh, are you going to be able to make that adjustment? So uh, I know those are the kind of things that keep John awake at night, and I have every confidence in the world uh, that he's going to have the answer. Yeah, we talked to him last week, and we asked him um, the biggest thing that's changed now that he's just defensive coordinator, so he's actually got more time on his hands to just make some of those adjustments. He said he still doesn't sleep. <laughs> uh, he goes to bed late, gets up early. Yeah, that, that stuff's still on his mind, and they're him and Campbell haven't wanted to say much, but they've both at least said they've looked at it as potential four-man fronts because sure. that depth depth is so good on the D line that if those are your best players, maybe you can switch into right. four-man fronts. Although it sounds like so far it's been mostly um, yeah. three-man work. Oh. The, the great issue, not a great issue, but a great problem to have is you want to get your best players on the field and. You're gonna have a hard time deciding where they are because there are so many good players, you know, in the two deeps. You know, really, just about every position. You mentioned corner is a question mark. I think there's a lot of talent there, uh, but you have a lot of proven depth at a lot of positions. So you're trying to pick. Uh, okay, we want to get our best 11 on the field. Uh, well, it, it could be four D linemen. It could be five five DBs. At times, it could be four linebackers because once again, the depth that they've been able to develop. That was gonna be my last question before we end on uh, some a couple of 2019 things is. We, we just talked about the best defensive line since when, and it also, the, the biggest thing that I think maybe doesn't get talked about enough, I think people realize it, but it's just like, you don't really think about it until you look back at some of those past rosters, especially pre-Campbell, is the depth that Paul Rhodes had good players sure. at times, even high-end players, but if one of those guys got hurt, the next guy was maybe such a steep fall off. It seems like that's the biggest thing is, they think they have maybe seven or eight guys in the O-line they have maybe four or five starters at linebacker. They've got more than three starters that could start on the defensive line. This is the best depth for sure that I can remember, but it seems like that's maybe the biggest thing for this team is if someone goes down, there's someone that's maybe just as good that can play. Uh, I, I think number of players that can play winning football in this league, uh, the numbers are, are greater than they've been, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, 
I, I don't even think it's close, to be honest. I think they've got a lot of guys, and once again, they have a lot of coachable guys uh, who've been able to step in situations, you know, and, and absorb changes. I mean, you change in the middle of the year. I mean, you can have a great scheme, but if the players can't pick it up, they can't execute it, it, it it's pretty meaningless. And I think that's a big thing, too, is the players they have. Uh, most of those guys are really coachable and, and really uh, can adapt to what uh, Coach Haycock is trying to get them to do. When you look at the Big 12, I think you talk to other broadcasters around the league and all that. What's kind of your feeling on the league this year as a whole? I mean, it's early because we, we still got to see some of these, guys, these teams play in non-conference a little bit, but everyone thinks Oklahoma and Texas at the top, but that middle could be really competitive, I think, with Baylor, Oklahoma State, TCU especially. And right. then you have four new coaches that you just don't know what they're going to do. I mean, you have an idea of what they've right. done in the past. but I mean, if the new coaches, uh, you know, I think short term, the one that has the best chance uh, to have a positive impact is at Tech uh, because I think they have good personnel. I don't think their defensive personnel, they know they lost probably their two best guys defensively, uh, but I think they can shore that up to be reasonably, uh, certainly better than they've been. And I think they have a chance to, to take a step forward this year. And they started five and two last year. Right. I mean, yeah. And they've also lost five games. Well, and, and that's been a, that's kind of been a trend for them the last couple of years has fallen apart at the end of the year. Uh, but uh, so I, I think they, uh, they have a chance to, to be better. Uh, now you mentioned the other, I think Oklahoma state's going to be good. They got quarterback, uh, potential issues there, which is always big. But I think Mike Gundy's a terrific coach, and I think they've got a lot of good personnel. They've recruited well. Uh, and, you know, after a kind of a down year, they usually have a really good year. So uh, I, you worry about Oklahoma State. Can Baylor sustain? Is it going to be a one-year blip? I think they're kind of building it in a positive direction. Uh, but, you know, Alex, it comes down so many times, and the same is true for Iowa State right now. You're going to have a lot of close games. Do you have guys that can make plays on third down, get you off the field in critical situations? Do you have guys that can pick up that first down uh, when you're trying to maintain uh, the football, run out the clock at the end of games? It comes down to a few plays, and do you have playmakers that can make the plays that you have to have made at the end of games? And you know, winning close games, I think, is going to be the key for all those teams. And who has who has the guy that can step up and make the play? Yeah, and like. Iowa State's got some questions of its own, I'm sure, but the thing with Baylor, Oklahoma State, and TCU to me is they each kind of have a big question. If they can answer that, they could be right, right up there. I think Baylor's, like, maybe their offensive and defensive lines, I think, have to continue to step up. But TCU and Oklahoma State, they really have quarterback questions. But if they can answer those, I think right. you know, you know, they can take steps. Yeah, and I mentioned the new coaches. I think Neil Brown of West Virginia is going to do a great job. But uh, – I think it could be a tough year for him this year because he's got questions, They've uh, so per much. personnel questions all over the board. I mean, some a lot of terrific players, you know, their receivers, quarterback, they lost the best defensive players. So they've got to uh, – but I think long-term, I think he's going to do a terrific job at West Virginia. Let's end by uh, getting some of your thoughts on a couple of 2019 topics with Iowa State. I guess first off the bat, leading up to the Northern Iowa game, we're talking about two weeks before that game. What's maybe the biggest question you have about this Iowa State team, or maybe the, a couple of big questions you have that maybe you want to try to find out against Northern Iowa or those first couple of weeks of the season? Well, I mean, whenever you play you and I, number one thing is you want to find a way to win the game, you know, because they're going to come in, uh, and you want to make sure you have a team that matches their level of effort and intensity and views this game every bit as important. Uh, 
as you and I is going to look at it, you know. And if you do that, I think the personnel will win. But you know, in that first game, you know, I, I want to see I want to see production at wide receiver. I want to see depth there. Uh, who's going to step up? Uh, is there going to be a bell cow uh, running back? I would say probably not. Uh, but who? Eventually, you can't play five. Uh, who are going to be the two guys, maybe even a third guy once in a while, who are going to get the bulk of the carries, and how productive can they be? Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about all those guys, uh, but uh, got to see it on the field in game situations, and which guy is going to value the ball. I mean, we were really spoiled with David uh, the last few years. I mean, he just didn't fumble, you know, and, and once again, turnovers are a thing that can flip games, and are these running backs going to be able to hang on to the football? Uh, just, Defensively, can you be dominant? Uh, you know, you're going to play uh, against you and I. I'm not. I don't know that much about you and I at this point. You know, but uh, I want to see this defense go out and, and take control. And if they can do that, I think that bodes well uh, heading into game number two. There, not to put you on the spot with having to name any names, but are there any guys you guys or things that you think might surprise fans that maybe? They think it's a bigger question. I know the biggest question for fans is probably can the offensive line prove itself. Sure. But is there anything, anybody you think might step up and or even a question that people think is a bigger deal than maybe you maybe you do? Well, I'll go with number nine. Uh, there's two number nines, Will McDonald and Joseph Skates. And I think both those guys have potential to be stars. Uh, but once again, it's potential. And you say, a guy told me a long time ago, hey, you know, tired of talking about potential because all potential means is you haven't done anything yet so go out and do something and I think that's what we want to see whether it's and it may be somebody else at those positions because once again there are choices whether it be Pulvermacher uh, or others at the linebacker and, and you know Wilson JC uh, guy at wide receiver you know a lot a lot of potential guys there but somebody has to step up and I think that's one of the biggest things is who which young guy, you know, uh, and I think there's some that are really capable of doing it. I mentioned those, you know, McDonald and Skates because I've been super impressed with those two guys. Uh, but can I see it on game day? Can I see consistency? And I think that's one of the things the coaches are really going to be looking for as much as, as raw talent is the consistency of effort and execution. And then with the Cyhawk game, if they're both ranked, I don't think that – I was trying to figure that out the other day. I didn't even do any research, but just in mm -hmm. conversation. I don't think both have ever been ranked at the same time. Because I don't – I don't Because it's so early in the I season. I don't think so. Iowa State has not been ranked that often, especially early in the year. Sometimes yeah. they end up getting ranked later on. But and so then when they play each other, it's always it's so always, early. Right. That, so so I, I don't think so. So would uh, that be the – I mean, would this be the – it'd probably be the most hyped, as we just talked about, even with the season, but would it be the biggest Seahawks game? Oh, you know, the biggest ones are the ones Iowa State wins. That's, you know, from, yeah. uh, you know I, once again, I'm an old guy. Uh, so 1977, they hadn't played in 34 that, yeah, years. That, that I would mean, be the one that goes 40, 40, however many years, however many years it was, they hadn't played. You know, so there was tremendous hype for that one. And, and the pressure, I think, really got to both teams in that game. Uh, but there have been, uh, you know, uh, you know, when Iowa State lost, that had that long losing streak, and then, a 20-some point underdog and go down to Iowa City and dominate. I mean, once again, not a lot of hype. All of a sudden, there's more hype next year. Uh, but probably as big a hype, you know. I think both fan bases are pretty confident about their teams. I think they both are cautious. Uh, the reasonable fans are cautiously optimistic, and some of the fans are just wildly optimistic. But I think uh, – how big a game is it? Well, once again, it's not as big as winning a conference championship or, or anything like that, but it is a big game, and it's one that 
uh, I'd like to see Iowa State get on the right side of this year. I was talking to Dave Archer the other day, and he said he, – he, he indicated he thought that was a pretty big game. He has to listen to a lot of Iowa guys down in Atlanta. So he said, let's find a way. He put me in charge of getting it. And I said, well, you put the wrong guy in charge. Uh, I'll just defer to Matt Campbell and his guys. Yeah, I think most fans would agree they'd rather see Iowa State do what they did last year and you know, lose the game and win six conference games. But just in terms of setting a tone for the season you know, and all that, I think it, it's still a big game. And the biggest reason I think that I see is people have to go to work and one of the fan bases <laughs> no doubt, a full year of talking about it. Well, they talk about bragging rights and it's a cliche, but it's a cliche based in fact, because you know you, you want to have that not only for your players, but for, for your fan base. And as I mentioned earlier too, Iowa State's gotten off to slow starts the last three years. I mean, what can they accomplish if they get off to a great start this year? And that would certainly be a big piece of getting off to a great start. Then I was going to let you go with one kind of broad question and that kind of maybe touches on it is what do you think is the biggest key to reaching expectations and you can talk to a lot of people and their expectations like you said some of them are wild mm -hmm. you know and some right. of them are reasonable and some of them we don't know what I guess and Campbell always says that when we ask him about things like that he says he likes to get to the season end of the season look back and see if they matched you know the talent they had and so he, he doesn't really like to put it, things in numbers and I'm not even asking you to do that but what do you think is the biggest key to reaching those expectations? Is it a fast start or is or there I, uh, well, a variety of things? I, I would say a fast start for sure uh, would be big. If you can get off to a great start, you know, uh, you got a Baylor game early in the conference season on the road. I think that would be sneaky tough. I, and I think that's that is that not even sneaky. That That's going to be a tough challenge. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's part of that early season, you know, Iowa, Baylor in particular. Uh, those are ones, if you find ways to get those, I, I think uh, you gain confidence. And when you gain confidence, I think it makes you, uh, it makes you better in, in clutch situations and close games because you've done it before. And I think, so I think getting off to a fast start is great. But once again, uh, I go back to find ways to make a play to win a game. You know, whether it's Brian Peavy stripping the ball from a guy down at Baylor a couple of years ago, uh, when he when looked like Baylor was going to score uh, and cut it to a one-score game, uh, somebody stepping up and making a play, a big sack. Uh, but somebody has to be, make those plays. And there's a whole group of somebodies that are capable on this Iowa State team. I just hope they find ways to do it. Yeah, that, I do think that's one of the things that's maybe biggest still with Iowa State is they've improved their talent, they've improved their depth, uh, they've got a star quarterback as we talked about, but and and that star quarterback stays healthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we and we yeah touched on that too, but this is like the first time, even though they have all that stuff, they're still going to play a lot of those close games, and if no there's doubt. a big diff of few little things can make the difference between seven, eight, nine, whatever it would be. And we've seen that even in pre-Campbell, like there were years where they lost like five one-score games. You still have to win those one-score games to probably live up to expectations. And a big part of that, like you said, is keeping Purdy on the field. I think in one-score games, Iowa State's been about 500. You know, if they can get to, you know, 65 or 70% wins in those, those one-score games, it's going to be a good year. Yeah, that's something Bill Snyder was always good at was the no one-score games. So. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for taking some time. I'll see you up in the press box here in a couple weeks. Last year, in year 35, I think you had a first with the canceled game, the two-hour-plus delay. So let's hope that there's nothing Please. as eventful in, in year 36. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was two hours of talking about something that might happen and never did. Yeah. I, didn't keep you, I didn't keep you that long here. so <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, Eric. <laughs> Thanks to Eric Heff for joining me here on the Cyclone Scoop here as the offseason comes to an end. I uh, appreciate him taking a little bit of time out of his final days of the summer. 
Iowa State is going to open the season about two weeks from to, from now. I'm talking to you on Friday, August 16th. Season opens Saturday, August 31st. So the season's right around the corner. Um, that's going to do it for this edition of the Cyclone Scoop. I'll have a lot more coming for you here in the next couple of weeks leading up to the season opener. We'll have some season preview stuff and all that. But uh, that's going to do it for now. So thanks for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>